keep you from all evils behind you and before he will sustain you through this journey from now and Let's pray. Jesus, uh, you're so kind to us. The fact that you love us that much and that much we can never actually fully understand, actually. We would never know that love you have for us. We can't grasp what that even means. But what we do know is that you loved us when we were unlovable. And you're here with us in this very moment. You're here with us at our, our hardest times, the best times, and you never forsake us. God, we're here tonight. We pray that you would show yourself to us. Would you become more clear to us? Would we see you more clearly for who you are? The Son of God, the one who's given all authority of everything here in the heavens and the earth, would we see you as that, and not just as a king, but as our friend? God, would you help us to just glorify you tonight, worship you with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, you give us just a few commandments, and the biggest one is to love you that much with everything we can. And God, we pray tonight we could just do that. Help us to just... Be still just for this hour. Be still just for this moment. And whatever that may take, God, help us. We can't do it on our own. So show yourself to us tonight, God. Thank you so much for loving us. Praise your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. First Timothy five nineteen through 21. Do, it, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in evil sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do not doing nothing from parti partiality. Wonderfully read. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so moved by my brothers and sisters tonight to come and praise the name of Jesus. Thank you for that, um, that season of songs that we had just to sing together, just to hear each other's voices, and to think that soon will cross over into eternity and worship the King of Kings forever as a family. And while we're here in this, this side of grace, we, we struggle, we, we hurt, we trek, we are in trial, we have ups and downs and good days and bad days and happy moments and hard moments and just to 
to kind of get together in the middle of the week and huddle like this and just allow our hearts to sing what we know and believe to be true. There's nothing like it. it these truly are songs for our souls and for any soul, any heart that could sing those songs with conviction. God bless them. It's such a blessing to worship together. It's such a blessing to be together as a family and have scripture read uh, by one of the sisters and there to be applause and clapping. We love the Bible, God. And we confess even in days where it may not appear like we love the Bible deep down in our hearts, we do love it. We need your word. We'd be so lost without it. Um, pray that this observation time would be rich, filled with life and enjoyment. And even in kind of the, the, the heaviness of the tone of the text, please still allow us to find joy and to study it well together. I pray that you'd help me as I've labored throughout the week on this to deliver faithfully. I pray that you'd help us as a family to hear your word eagerly as the Bereans were. And just that you would be magnified. That by the time we leave this place, our affections, our love, our, our drive, our, our zeal, our fervor for Christ would just be through the roof. Way more than when we first showed up. So stoke us, Holy Spirit. Fan us into flame. And renew a passion for the name above all names, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this evening of grace. Help us to be present and live in these moments together. In Christ's name and all God's children said, amen. Amen. Look how much thought and consideration and careful investigation you're already doing in 30 seconds of just like, instead of just hearing one thing and then bloop. Hey, I saw this, I did that. You know, so that's, that's really what the, the, the teaching is trying to do, instruct us. To give careful attention and careful accountability to one another. And again, church family, even though this, is a, this part of the letter is geared primarily to the elder, the principles of these things apply to all of us. Matthew 18 is a text that we'll, I'll be quoting tonight, but that is just how as church members, we are to be with each other. We are careful to not sin sniff each other. I can walk around with your phones recording and everything like that just to catch some evidence on each other. Well, where you was last night? Two o'clock. You know, not, not, that, not that type of attitude. But if there is someone entangled in a sin, and in this context, our leaders, we really, really want to be careful. And when I say careful, I do mean full of care. Right? So anyway, we'll, we'll get more to that um, any others? All right. Let's dig in. Um, I'm going slow because there's just a lot to be said. Even last week, I could have I stayed in last week's text for a long time too. Um, there's so much more to be said about pastoral pay and things like that. And so um, I'm going to ask for God's grace one more time. Lord Jesus, we love your word. We're thankful that the word speaks to everything in life. And so with this particular text, and even in the life of our church right now in October, as we're praying for our pastors, teach us how to care, how to consider, and how to 
to really hold our elders accountable, first out of a love for you, and then out of a love for our elders, and then out of a love for one another. Help us to care well for the elders who care well for our souls in Jesus' name. Amen. So the more I began to reflect on the text that I became pregnant with last week, that's a reference to last week's text, right? The preacher, teacher, labors. So I got hapai Friday morning or Thursday morning. But this, as I, as, throughout the week as I reflected on this, um, goodness gracious, there was just so much thoughts that flooded my mind. And I, and I came to this realization that I, I really believe and feel like God has been preparing me for this sermon for like 20 years. I thought it was 8 and then I thought it was 10 and then the reason why I get 20 20 years was because 20 years ago was the first time that I firsthand witnessed catching a leader in the church in the act of sin or doing something that would disqualify them for a leadership role 20 years ago. And it was shortly after that, a few years later, that I um, ended up witnessing to a man who would then confess to me sins that would of, of adultery, of rape, of gamble, and then he would tell me he's the senior pastor at such and such and such a church. Um, and then maybe years a little bit later, five or six years later, I would be a part of a ministry that then would have the lead pastor to be found in adultery and spiritual abuse that was going on for years. Um, and, and, and so when I say I feel like the Lord has been preparing me for this message for 20 years, I do mean it. And I mean it in the sense of this. I, I, I used to come to my, my journals and say, why did I have to witness it? Why, do I, why did I need to see that? I, I can read about it. I can see it on the news. But when it hits home, when it's in your house, when you're talking to the person who's in that circumstance, it's, it just did a number on me. And this is sprinkled through my, my, my childhood, my young manhood, and to, 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 today. And, and the more, and even this week as I wrestled with this text, and I kept coming back to that thought. It's like, God, you've been preparing me for this message for so long. And, and it's, it's, I say that because in all those scenarios, 20 years ago, 18 years ago, 15, 10 years ago, in every single one of those instances in my life as a believer and as a church member, I really wish I knew what to do. Like I'm out in the public with my friend and then we catch this and see that and we're just so shocked. We don't, I got in my car and I was like, I don't know what to do. What do I say? Who do I say? What? And all, the only thing I could think to do is just drive to the church. I could say, I need help. What do I do with this? And then later in the church, even when the church that you're involved in, it's like a text like this. It's like, I really wish someone taught it. I really wish a leader or a pastor or, or an uncle or an auntie even would just sit me down and explain this and help me to wrestle through this kind of a situation. You know, young uh, children in the house, young men and women in the house, you know, you guys, I've been praying and thinking about you and thinking, 
God forbid, but if ever in your lifetime, you happen chance, God opens your eyes to a sin that would disqualify a pastor, and you're the one that sees it, you will be prepared. You're not going to run. You're not going to hide. You're not going to gossip. You're not going to just do nothing with it. You will know what to do. This is a hard text because this is hard stuff. When a pastor falls short, when a pastor is found to be in sin, Anything that would disqualify him, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3 that we study. Family. First, not what do we do. First, family, what do you feel? Because I'm sure in this room, even if you've been walking with the Lord for a little bit, have you not heard stories of religious leaders or pastors who've been found to be living like a devil? Have you not? Now I have a wonder, I have a question. In that moment, when you found out that pastor was in sin, how did you feel? We're going to get to what do we do, but how did you feel? It rips my heart out. Anytime I hear of a brother pastor that falls short, it's sad. It's sad. And it scares the darkness and the hell out of me. Because it's only by the grace of God that I'm not that. There's a big tone, that there's a proper tone as we take this text, and it should be solemn. As we walk through this, church family, I am eager to unpack this together and, and to wrestle with it together. And God forbid... And we could, take, we could take a lot of lessons from this to act wisdom and be preventative so that this doesn't happen in our church. But if and ever the time comes, Newton Baptist, where one of our leaders, who we give double honor, even him, falls short because the best of men are our best men, we will in love know what to do. My question is, are you willing and are you ready? Do you love enough to want to do that? God, give us love enough to learn it. So let's walk through this. There's three points. And we'll ask the Spirit to just keep doing what he's doing. So, verse 19, it says, do not admit a charge against an elder. Let's, let's go slow because there's caution here. He's saying, don't, don't admit do not admit. Don't receive. This is the Greek word. Paradekomai. It means don't receive or welcome or believe. Or literally to accept as your own. You know what I'm talking about? You hear something and you just like, oh, yep. You acknowledge it as your own. That's what it's saying. Don't admit or believe a charge. A charge. Kategoria, which is the Greek word for accusation. So if there's an accusation of a church leader that comes to your attention, your first reaction shouldn't just be, oh my gosh. You don't just jump on the bandwagon of the accusation. Here's the first point. We mustn't be quick to believe 
or receive every accusation towards an elder. Now, let's, let's, let's go slowly with this. Now, think about it. There's a, this also, I think, implies we shouldn't be shocked or surprised if elders get accusations. Now, think. What is the elder tasked to do? Preach and teach the what? The word, which is the? The gospel, which is the? The good news, which is the? The word is the? Starts with the T, ends with the Ruth. You got it. Akamai, sharp people. Think about it. If I'm a truth teller to a world that does not naturally love the truth, you better believe I'm going to get accused. We're going to get accused. You're going to get accused as a believer. So, so it's, it's, not, it's one of those things that, like, think about this. This is wisdom. The elder that is, is receiving that double honor and, and he's laboring in love to preach and teach the Bible and he's dealing with people who are in their sin and John 3 says some people love the darkness. So I'm sitting with a couple and I'm counseling them and we come to discover together that they're in darkness and in love I might tell them the truth. There's a good chance that sometimes, and sadly this happens, those individuals leave, and what they come back is with accusations. Pastor, so, Pastor Brada is so legalistic. Oh, Pastor Brada say, I know he can have sex before marriage. It's so legalistic. Everybody do that. And so there's this accusation. Pastor Brada is, is he's a legalistic pastor. Oh, my gosh, I cringe so much of how often I would hear of a brother, sister come and they visited a church and they have all these colorful things to say about their pastor that they, they heard and they saw. And they, I mean, accusations can come in various shades and various forms. We live in such a big gossip generation. You know how easy it is to just accuse anybody for anything? Right? My uncle's brother, sister's friend would say, and then they say that, you know, oh, he wouldn't do this. And then what do we do right away? Oh, uh-uh, no, he did it. And we jump on the bandwagon and just start relishing in it. And we've already admitted the accusation. We believed and received it like it's truth. See, the, the warning is don't, don't be foolish, don't be quick. Proverbs 14, 15 says this. The simple believes everything. And the word simple in the proverb here is not like a good word. It, it means the stupid one. <laughs> the simple just believes everything. But the prudent gives thought. Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever slow to anger has great understanding. Meaning they're not just impulsive in their reactions. They hear an accusation. Oh, they get all fired up right away. But it says this, he who is hasty and temperate exalts his folly. I cringe when believers talk about other saints and other pastors. And oftentimes accusations, they just come off of hearsay. Don't be quick to receive or believe every accusation. You know, Zechariah 3.1 says, Satan, the accuser, he stands to accuse. He's all about tearing down people, especially leaders. 
Satan would love our church to be a sin-sniffing church that just walks around as, oh, oh, I knew it. Where you was. You never did this. You never did that. You know, like, Satan would love us to walk around and just accuse each other of everything and be hypercritical. This is a big, this is wisdom right here. Don't admit a charge against an elder. We must learn to be good listeners. We need to learn to weigh and discern and ask the Holy Spirit to counsel and guide our hearts with a charge made towards anyone, anyone, especially towards our leaders. Now we're going to read on and we'll see he doesn't mean ever. But I do want to just weigh in on this a bit because of the type of generation we live in that is so anti-authority. I want to let you know that that fuels the fire to easily point the gun at elders or leaders or anyone with an authoritative role. And you just want to accuse, 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 accuse very easily. And the Bible is instructing us just, just don't be quick to do that. Be careful. Don't be quick. You want to make sure that the charge is legit. But I just want to ask our hearts devotionally, are we quick to think the worst of people? Just, just think about that. Are you quick to jump to conclusions? If that's your natural disposition, maybe, maybe you better take a, take a, just, just take a step back because perhaps a lot of the accusations or the, 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 the preconceptions you have of people, maybe your, your, your pastors, is wrong. Just be careful if you're quick to accuse. Just be careful. Now, with that said, let's not be a people who are quick, but reading on, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So the first point, we mustn't be quick to believe or receive every accusation. But on the flip side, here's the point, we must be careful to hold our elders accountable. We must. I put that there on purpose. Mandatory. Accept, ektos, unless there is evidence of two or three witnesses. That's one Greek word together. This is the legal sense. And I, I told you it's, uh, Paul is getting this because he says the scriptures, Deuteronomy 19, 15 to 16. And then he's also quoting Jesus in Matthew 18 where he says that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, when, remember in observation time when my sister was trying to play out the scenario in her mind, notice how it caused her to already think carefully about it. If it's just one witness, if it's just one thing, and you jump on the bandwagon and you start labeling this pastor brada, this is what he is, that is the, that's gossip, guys. That's, that's, that's slander. Can you imagine if you're driving down the highway and I was going to use Pastor Bob, but I'll just use myself, and you see me, and I'm at the park with my children, and you see me going like this. And then you see my, my kids on the other side. And, I, and, then I, and then I grab something and I'm like. And then you see, you see, you see Autumn like. 
And then you drive by, and that's all you see, and you just keep on going. And then what do you think? Oh, my gosh. Pastor Chris is abusing his children. What do I do? Who should I call? Should I call? Oh, my. And then you start texting people. Do you know what I just saw? And then the other, and then it just goes and it goes and it goes. But then you didn't realize that there is a bee swarming by my children and they're tripping out and I'm trying to shoo that bee away. You, you, see, you see, two or three witnesses, what Paul is trying to do is cause us to be careful. Investigate, get actual evidence. This is important for us to think about because. We are such a gossip generation. We love to accuse in our flesh, in our nature. But now think. Let's just, let's just think about this in this context. Come on. If we faithfully filtered our elders through the biblical qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we know them to be men who love God and love their family and labor in love. They fall short, but they have the Christ-like character to where if you drove by the freeway and you saw me going like this, ah, and my children crying, and, but, but this is what you do. If you are the person who witnesses something that you might think could be sin, but think about it. If we filter our elders well, wouldn't you think that, that part of the double honor is you trust the character of the man. And why not go ahead and just ask the elder? Hey, I drove by. Is everything okay? What happened? You see, what Paul is trying, what the Bible is trying to do is to teach us, you might catch an elder in an act of weak, in, a, in a moment of weakness. But this two or three witnesses stuff, it's causing us to cultivate a sense of like, I love you, brother, and I believe that there's got to be some more reasons behind this. Let me do some proper investigation before I just bust out the guns and call you something. That is so good. And this is what the Bible is trying to teach us. Be careful. Don't admit a charge except on the evidence, meaning I think what's implied is You've done, your, your, you've done some investigation, and not with a self-righteous, big nose like, mm. you do this in love. If you did drive down the freeway and saw me raise my hand on my children, I hope you love and care about me to call me right away and say, are you okay? What's going on? Please don't just keep driving. I hope you'd love enough to turn around, maybe pull over. And see if I'm, and if I am angry, and if I am spanking my children in a wrongful way or exasperating my child, I pray you'd love me enough to sit me down because you love me and I'm one of your leaders and do the hard thing. But that, that, that's, that's, you know, this is very extreme. If you get to a place where there's two or three witnesses, now let's say for an example, Let's say one witness saw an elder abusing and then another witness affirmed that and then a third witness. And, and now the evidence is overwhelming. But the picture, the, the point I'm trying to make is there was a lot of careful investigation being done. Now at this point, you got to admit the charge. Right? Don't admit a charge against except. Now, God forbid we'd ever have to do this, church family. God forbid. 
let us, let us glean from the wisdom of chapter 3 so that we don't even get into this point. But if and when this ever comes to pass, will we, will we admit it? Will we bring the charge to the elder? I hope and pray that you, especially you who are members here, you see in your pastors men who are approachable, that you could bring a charge to us if you were really concerned. We really want that. We want that. We don't want a leadership that's unapproachable. If you're afraid to admit or bring a concern to me that has to do with me, then, then, then I'm doing something wrong. Or we're doing something wrong. All right, here we go. We're going to get into the last part of the text, and then we'll be how. But this is kind of like the, the tough stuff, the tough, tender love. Verse 20, on the evidence of two or three witnesses, for, and, and as for those who persist in sin, okay? So, sorry, you did the Matthew 18, verse 15 to 16. It says this, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. So, Let's say you bring the, the, you see, you witness something, you pull over, you ask Chris, what was going on? Like, are you, you and your kids okay? And let's say I was, I, man, I had a moment of weakness, I, I, I blah, 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 and I confess, and dude, I need accountability, I was getting angry. I mean, and that's serious, and we're going to probably have to get some help, brothers, to hold me accountable. But if I'm repentant, and I'm just like, dude, that, that's something I'm struggling with. I'm angry person or whatever. I'm just bringing up a scenario. But the text says, if they listen to you, you've gained your brother. Now, I pray that our eldership would have men with that caliber of a character, that we want to be admonished if we need it especially. But if he does not listen, take, it to two, take two others along with you. And then that's when Jesus says, on the evidence of two or three witnesses, and then if they don't, you bring it to the church. This is what Paul is bringing from that principle. And he's saying, if the elder is persisting in sin. Now, that's a big word right there. Persist in sin. You know what persist means? Persist. You just keep on doing it. Another word for it is this, this brother is enslaved to it. He's not repentant. He's living in it. It's a lifestyle that he is unwilling to stop and change. It's called unrepentant. Now, I just want to be clear on this. And, and, and this was boggling me because it's like if we actually heeded 1 Timothy 3, how can a brother like that get into the office? How can a brother who wants to live in darkness become an elder? God forbid we would admit, we would appoint anyone like that. And that's going to be the text later next week, how we appoint elders. But the sad reality is this, church, perhaps in our church, perhaps in many other churches right now, there are men in the pastorate who, if they could persist in sin, they would, as long as nobody finds out. And that's scary. That ought to scare us. It is sad. We have a ton of pastorless churches, and I don't, I push back against this. I don't like the thought of, we just got to pump out more pastors and get them in there. 
Call the seminaries and send them in. Just send your resume. In, in, in. And I'm thinking, no. I've been asked to speak at churches who are looking for pastors, and a lot of what I preach to them is slow. Be careful. Again, I've been working, God's been working this on me for 20 years. I've seen enough in my own life and smelt the wreckage of when we get to a place where our pastor is in persistent sin. It's devastating. It, it really does harm the sheep. It really does ruin the witness. Romans, right? You who teach, do you not teach yourself? You who preach, do you not preach to yourself? The Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. How many of your friends have told you, I ain't going to go to church? Brah, your past, I heard of pastors who's da 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 Right? So those who persist in sin, unrepentant, God forbid this would happen in this place. That is the time, he says, rebuke them in the presence of all. Rebuke is a word for expose them. Don't sweep the sin under the rug. Don't be hush-hush about this. If you're in the place where the elder is unwilling to change, he's going to stay in that affair. He's going to carry on in that addiction. He's going to keep abusing and abusing people. He's going to keep manipulating. He's going to do anything that disqualifies himself in, a, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Go ahead and read through that. Then you must rebuke, expose, convict, reprove, discipline him. And I, I say that with, with great solemnity. like Not like fun. That's not fun. Hebrews says discipline's painful. It's not pleasant. But later, it yields fruit. But rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. I'm going to read the rest. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, the elect angels, I charge you, Timothy, keep these rules without prejudging and do nothing from partiality. Here's the final point, and we'll work through the point. We must love God, the elder, and one another enough to discipline our elders if need be. I know that's a long-winded point, but hear me. We must, for the love of God, for the love of the elder, for the love of one another, discipline the elders if need be. Now let's break apart this point and tell you where I got it. The first part, out of a love for God, for God and his glory, his name, his renown. Isaiah 26, 8 says, it's your name and remembrance that's the desire of our soul. Are you a believer that 1 Corinthians 10, 31, you do all that you do for the glory of God? Is the glory of God big in your heart? Do you care about the name of God? Then we will do something like this first, first for the name of God. The preacher, the pastor, is preaching the word of God. I am an ambassador. I'm a representative of God. 
And if my life is contrary to the words that's coming out of my mouth, you got to discipline me. First, for, the, for God's sake. Romans chapter 2, it says this. I, I quoted it earlier. You then who teach, don't you teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law and dishonor God by breaking the law. As it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, preacher, teacher. I can get up here and get in the pulpit and passionately communicate, charismatically, eloquently communicate to you all the truths of the Bible. But if, if you come to find that my life is in the darkness, the Gentiles will blaspheme our God because of it. Out of a love for God, you better discipline the elder that's in that circumstance. I better be ready to lead a church to discipline an elder if we come to that place. I wish I had this verse 10 years ago. I've been in the scenario where I'm a leader and the lead pastor was in this scenario. I had to fast track this verse that day. What does the Bible say to do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I come across this verse. Oh my goodness. How do I do this? None of us were taught this. Devastating. We have to understand this is first out of a love for God. I, I believe we all love God here. And he disciplines the ones he loves. If his name and his Renown is the desire of our souls. We got to do this. First, first out of a love for God. Then out of a love for the elder, it says to rebuke them. You're not just making an example out of them. We're not going to just like parade it around and this is the elder that did it. No, we're going to actually look to the brother in love with tears in our eyes. Because if you're going to persist in sin, brother, if we have a pastor in our church who's going to live in adultery and say, I don't care what you say, and he's a pastor, we've got to look him in the eye and, and give him the milk of the gospel again. Here's a question, church. Do you persist in sin? Do you love your sin? You know John 3, after 16, if you read on, that's a beautiful verse, but read after 316. It says that there's a people... Where even though this light came into the world, they love the darkness. Are you persisting in any sin tonight? I'm pleading with you. Repent. Come to the cross. Come to the light. Get out of the darkness. Don't persist in that anymore. Numbers says this. Your sin will find you out. Hebrews 4, it says this, everything will be uncovered and made bare before the eyes of whom you're going to have to give an account. None of us, if we're living in persistent sin, including our elders, are getting away with a single thing. This is why we must rebuke that elder, because we love that brother, or maybe not even a brother. It's possible for there to be churches who have pastors that aren't saved. That's a horrific thought, right? Who would have thought? The very one preaching the gospel has never even eaten the gospel he's preaching. It's a scary thing, but it's out there. It happens. 
but we must rebuke the elder and tell him his wrong and plead with him to change and to come to the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We as a church family have a chance to preach to the preacher. Preach to that man the gospel. Children, there may be a day. You're not going to be this age anymore, but you might be older. And there's going to be a day where there might be a man in the position of an elder. And he may not even be a believer. And he gets there because he's funny and skillful or whatever. However it gets there. And you as a member of this church are going to have to look him with love in the eyes. With the leadership of your elders and rebuke that man. So that on the day of judgment, he is not he is not in hell, but he's in heaven. It's a big one. Will we love our elders, even if they're at this point? Will we love them, love them enough to rebuke them? Lastly, first out of a love for God, then out of a love for the elder, and now out of a love, lastly, for one another. Notice it says this, in the presence of all. That's the whole church. Make this aware, and here's why. So that the rest may stand in fear. This act of discipline, we must do it as the elders. If we find an elder in sin and we rebuke them in the presence of all, this is for all of our good. We all need to see this. Fear is not a bad thing. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One. Here's what Psalm 10.13 says. Why does the wicked man revile God and says, he won't hold me to account? If you're persisting in sin tonight, like if you're fooling around with something that you know ought not be done, you're looking, you're thinking, you're planning, you're plotting something that is contrary to God's word, and in your heart of hearts, you say, he could do nothing anyway. Oh, I plead with your heart tonight. Beware. God will judge. He will fear the wrath of God. Hebrews says it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Do you hate sin? Do you fear it? You know, Genesis 4 says it's crouching at your door. It's coming after you. You and I are being hunted, and the elder has a target on his back. It is, it is right and appropriate for the church to have a healthy fear of the Lord. We need to learn how to fear God and tremble. And the elder must be foremost in this. But when you rebuke him, in the presence of all, it's a teachable moment for the whole family. The whole family, if that, ever, if that ever happens in this church or a church, and the elders lead it, that discipline well, you know what happens in the congregation? There's a rightful gasp and a silence. And there's a fear. There's a fear that says, for the elders, I pray that never happens to me. This is why I think God's been working on, for 20 years on me in this, with this message. Because I used to say, why did I have to witness this elder or this pastor or this whatever do that? And I think it's perhaps maybe, Chris, because one day you're going to be there and you need to tremble and fear me. 
And it's by the grace of God you are who you are. It's by the grace of God that's going to keep you pure. And so the whole church is supposed to witness this. And we learn, fear God. He is holy. And so Paul says to do this with great care and sorrow, not self-righteousness, Timothy. You're not any better. It's by the grace of God you're not in sin. So rebuke them, and may the whole church be edified because of this. In closing, church, 1 Timothy 3.15 says this, that we are the pillars of truth. 1 Peter says we're a, a, roy, a, 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 a royal priesthood, a holy nation. If we're pillars of truth and the preachers that we had appointed into office are heralding that truth and we come to find that they live lives contrary to that truth. As a people who are the pillars, we must rebuke that, make that known, and let the world see that we no, we don't. We, we, deal, we, we take sin seriously. We're not going to be a church family that's going to sweep stuff under the rug. That would have been tempting. That's why Paul's writing this. That's why he finishes saying, Timothy, and don't show any partiality. Now think, why would a church not want to do this? I mean, yeah. <laughs> right? Reputation. You know, you don't want this guy's life. Everything has to do with, you know what, this life. That's why, and I'll finish with this, when he says, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels, the servant leaders in heaven. You see, if you're going to try to sweep sin under the rug, new one about this church, for the sake of the earthly reputation that your church has and your leader has, I'm just letting you know the leadership in heaven is frowning upon you. So don't do this out of a fear of man. You must fear God. We do this out of a love for God, the elder, and one another. And then we trust him. We trust God will do what God needs to do. And I'm so thankful, church family. I can say with good conscience that we have a church leadership, our elders and our deacons, who if... If a weakness or a struggle or a sin is brought to the table, thus far in my experience here, I've witnessed this. We have leaders who humbly receive correction, who humbly receive input and, and, and criticism, and they repent and they work at it together, and we confess those sins, and we carry on. This, is, this needs to take play when there is unrepentant sin in our leadership. You know, I told you guys that I've had those experiences of, of witnessing church leaders who, who, who are unfaithful. And what that fear of God has done to me, uh, I just want to share this with you, and maybe you can take this away for practical application, is it caused me it, it, to claw for accountability. Ever since I was... Um, a teenager, I was always wanting a, someone that I could regularly confess my sins and get prayer. This is James. Confess your sins to one another and pray that you might be healed, not just physically, but spiritually. 
So ever since that young age and all the way through my adulthood, my young adulthood, I've always wanted layers and layers and layers of, of people that could, could speak into my life that I would, I would give myself to. Thank you, Zion. Put myself in a place to be spoken truth to in love and then prayed over. Here's the question. Here's the takeaway. We want accountability in our leadership, right? And we also want accountability in our membership. You know the quality of our leadership is going to be a result of the quality of our membership. I believe that with all my heart. Because guess who the future leaders are going to come from? Our membership. We're going to cultivate this now. So children, young men, young women, older men or older women, right now, if you do not have a place of accountability, and when I say that is brothers and sisters, you don't need 30 you just need a couple. You know, Jesus just had those two or three that he sweat out drops like blood and he told them in the garden, oh, I'm just overwhelmed and you pray for me. And then his accountability partners went to sleep. But you know what's crazy? Jesus put himself out there. He modeled for us humility. Pray for me. That's crazy. And if Jesus does that, Paul does that. Who thinks we should not do that? So here's my practical application to prevent this from ever happening. Let us be a church that grows in accountability that we might not be a people who persist in sin. If you're in sin tonight, if you've committed a sin recently, you bring that to the cross now. You bring that to a brother or sister that you love and trust and you just share that and say, pray for me with that. I want to prune that. I want to nip that in the bud. Let's not be a people who persist in sin. And then from our membership, we were going to have quality leadership. I believe it. I believe it. So, next week, we're going to see more wisdom in how to prevent these verses from ever happening. But as we close, as we sing... Think right now. Take this home. Go home with Jesus tonight. This applies to you, brother, sister, right now. Because I guarantee this, if you start to destroy your, your sin, you take your personal holiness seriously, you know what's going to happen? You're going to care about God. You're going to care about the gospel. You're going to care about your leaders so much so that you are going to be a contributor to not only double honoring your pastors, but holding them accountable. Please watch out for me. Please watch out for Pastor Bob and Pastor Johnny. Please pray for us. We're weak men. It's only by the grace of God we are who we are. But let's take care of each other, amen? And God, we pray that this church will be holy. We pray that we would be a people, a family that is ready and willing to deal with the tough stuff together. I can only imagine Timothy being intimidated reading these verses that he would have to perhaps maybe rebuke an elder in the presence of all. But God, we live now in the presence of God, Christ Jesus, the elect angels. We pray that we would keep our eyes on you. 
and that we as a church would never be lost into how to hold our elders accountable. I pray that right now already you'd begin to cultivate in our church a healthy fear of you. I pray that if any brother or sister right now is persisting in sin or they don't have brothers or sisters that they can really unpack and just share and unburden themselves with uh, regarding certain things they're struggling with, that tonight would be the night that you bring, you bring those brothers and sisters to them. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much for the cross. Thank you that we can run to you with our sin. That we can plead the blood. And First John says, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive and cleanse. Let us not persist in these things anymore, but come clean. And oh, we pray that our elders, our pastors, our leaders in this church would be holy, humble. Do this, we pray, and glorify the name of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, make sense of these things. And even as we sing, help us, lead us into application. And we pray this in your name. Amen. God, be pillars of this truth. Lord, help us to hate sin because we are drawn to your holiness and righteousness. We worship you, Lord, and there is none like you. In your name, amen. Go in his peace. Amen.